This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Today's special episode is an excerpt from the Mayo Clinic Pediatric Days Conference. This annual conference provides an interdisciplinary update in the latest strategies for providing timely and effective evidence-based diagnosis and management plans for multiple aspects of pediatric and young adult health. Today's selected presentation, You Did What? Uncovering What Kids Are Eating, is presented by Dr. Charlotte Van Dorn, a Mayo Clinic pediatric and intensive care specialist. Let's listen in. I'd like to thank Drs. Cook and Drs. Johnson for allowing me to speak today. I will warn you, this is a very big topic, um, and I wanted to try to give an overview and some of the things that you may remember from your training from the textbooks you read a long time ago, um, and hopefully we'll uh, bring back those lovely memories. I have no disclosures. I would like to disclose that poison control is an excellent resource and should be used as much as possible. I think some of us can remember these fun stickers we used to place all over the house as young children and uh, perhaps should still be doing today. So I thought I would start out with a case example, something that as a critical care doc I, I hear a lot from my emergency room colleagues, my primary care practitioners out in the community. So you're on call, as the on-call pediatrician, you're urgently called by the parents of Haley, a lovely 14-year-old female that you have followed since birth, so you know her well. Mom reports that Haley took a handful of pills about 30 minutes ago and is now lethargic and vomiting profusely. On further questioning, you learn that she was recently prescribed an antidepressant, you're not sure which, for decreased mood and poor sleep. So what are you most worried about? And what would you recommend for this family? I think a lot of us in the community, if we receive this call, the first thing that comes to mind is please send your child to the ER as soon as possible. I'm very worried. Um, and, and keep in mind that, yes, yeah, she's on an antidepressant, but what else could she be exposed to? What else could this be? She's 14. And as we know, kids are getting younger and younger and getting into more and more things. So learning objectives for this talk. I'd like to identify common presentations for specific ingestion types, something to keep in mind. Discuss appropriate workup for these toxidromes. I'll try to break them down into groups and hopefully be a little bit easier to remember. Describe the acute management strategies to minimize toxicity. This is something that you may do in the community, you may do in the emergency room, or I would do in the intensive care unit uh, to help minimize end organ disease and issues. Determine outcomes of specific ingestions as well. So epidemiology, more than 2 million toxic exposures are reported to poison control each year. 2 million. That's a ton of phone calls, okay? Most common calls are are actually quite interesting. Cosmetics, personal care products, cleaning substances, analgesics, foreign bodies, topical agents, and plants. So you think of that toddler who's gotten into something they shouldn't have gotten into. But I will say, as an intensivist, I call poison control all the time for my teenagers, for my children, by toddlers, whatever it may be. They're an excellent resource. Morbidity and mortality, interestingly enough, are uncommon. So I say this with a little bit of pause, okay? The the kids I see have a lot more morbidity and mortality than other children, but the vast majority of plants that your two-year-old got into are are probably going to be okay for that child. Uh, So keep that in mind. Poisoning is more common in children less than five years. They don't know what they're putting in their mouth. 
and only 10 to 15% of these 2 million calls came for children greater than five years. Of note, this could be a bit skewed. You may stop calling poison control for the Celexa overdoses because you've seen so many of them. Uh, so keep that in mind. And teenage poisonings are often intentional and often multi-drug. I'll spend a little bit of time on this today, but keep that in mind. Mom, I only took my antidepressant, and your urine direct stream comes back for benzos and opioids. So you know there is more going on than meets the eye. So toxidromes. We'll spend a few moments on this, okay? So there's the symptomatic or adrenergic agents to keep in mind, your cholinergic agents, your anticholinergic agents, and then, of course, your opioid agents. We hear a lot about our opioid crisis right now. Uh, does anyone know what plant this is? Hmm? Yes, yeah, tour. Yes. Exactly. So this is Jimson weed. This is something you can be exposed to in leveling farming communities where I come from and can come in with some of these symptoms. And it actually proposes a potential treatment therapy for organophosphate ingestions as well. So uh, it's, a, it's a great weed. But it can be out in your community, and you can be easily exposed to these things. So symptomatic agents and symptoms. These, this is a list of agents. It's, it's fairly inclusive. Uh, you can see things that we prescribe all the time. Albuterol, we see these effects a lot. Terbutaline, caffeine, catecholamines. And then things are a little more ominous, like cocaine, ephedrine, ketamine, something I use a ton in my ICU practice. I know my colleague, Dr. Manabach, uses a ton in the emergency department. Methamphetamine, PCP. These are, these are medications we're exposed to all the time. Some we use for good, and some are used in a, in a, in a way that is obviously not good for the children we take care of. The toxidrome is really important to keep in mind. This is the child mom finds in their room. They're 17. You're not sure what they've gotten into. This child's agitated. They're hitting things. They're hitting people. My child is seizing. What does this mean? Look at their pupils. We'll talk a bit about how you work these patients up. The pupils will tell you a ton. What are their vital signs doing? Are they sweating? Are they warm? Are they cold? Are they hot? Ask about fevers, cool skin, things like that. So this is the bear chasing you. This is this toxidrome. So something to keep in mind, okay? Bears chasing you, your eyes dilate, your heart rate goes up. You expend energy to get away from said bear. So that's sympathetic agent. So if you see a patient that looks like this, this is what you're dealing with, okay? So I would be remiss if I didn't talk about ways to treat this. It's really dependent on target sites, okay? So when I use these drugs in the, in the ICU, I think long and hard about is this a beta-1, a beta-2, alpha-1, alpha-2, what effect am I expecting? But know that some of these drugs that children, young adults get into are dirty drugs, is what I call them. They may not act on those sites as you would expect. So if it's a beta-agonist, you may have tachycardia. You may have bradycardia, depending on what's going on. You may have hyper or hypotension. Alpha-agonist alpha can result in severe hypertension. Keep in mind their direct and indirect effects. Does it stimulate the release of norepinephrine? And then look for these other end organ issues. Rhabdomyolysis, myoglobinuria. I can tell you stories about both of these. Myocardial ischemia, very important. Ischemic or hemorrhagic stroke. And these are things you can see in young children. So I show a picture of a, a young woman who's complaining of chest pain. She looks pretty innocent. She's in a pretty cute pink t-shirt. You think she's probably doing okay in life and not getting into trouble. And you obtain this ECG. Is this ECG alarming to anyone? In what way is it alarming? Yeah, a lot of depression. So I'm a pediatric cardiologist as well. This ECG makes me very nervous. So this is cocaine-induced vasospasm. This child's having ischemia. 
okay? I took care of a young female who you would never guess was using cocaine, and we put her on ECMO two days later. So this is very real, okay? So look at your ECG, and look at that QTC interval, look at your QRS, look at those ST segments, okay? Especially in this toxidrome. Treatment, benzos, it's interesting. I use benzos a ton for these toxidromes. Fluid rehydration, if you think they have rhabdomyolysis going on, this is the treatment of choice. You wanna save their kidneys. Avoid beta blockers, especially your specific beta blockers. You can have unopposed alpha receptor stimulation, so you can have even worsening hypertension, okay? Short-acting hypertension agents are better than your longer-acting. You may regret giving a long-acting beta blocker. And note that drugs like cocaine, methamphetamine, if you've been on it a long time, it can deplete your catecholamines. You treat it, and they go into cardiovascular collapse, and that can be very dangerous, of course. So keep that in mind. All right, so moving on to cholinergic agents and symptoms. Uh, these are less common, but things you may see, especially if you're, you're out in the community or rural community. Uh, yes, the mnemonic dumbbells comes back. I'm sure all of us can recall this from our med study review or whatever we've used for our boards. Um, so keep that in mind. Do they have diarrhea, urinary incontinence? This is sort of the, the wet prodrome, if you will. Low heart rates for this, for cholinergic agents, okay? Bronchorrhea, emesis. They can have wheezing. The, the nicotinic effects are the same effects you might see while you're intubating a patient. It's something I see in the operating room a lot, sometimes in the emergency department. And then, of course, all the central effects. And you'll see there's a ton of overlap between all of these toxidromes, lethargy, coma, agitation, seizures. Not super helpful when you're trying to figure out what this young 14-year-old has taken when this parent has urgently called you. So I'm, I'm a picture sort of person. Uh, this one is where you may have evidence of a constricted pupil. You can have lungs that exhibit increased secretions and wheezing, okay? Patients have died from this. Bronchorrhea and, and wheezing, because it wasn't adequately addressed or treated quickly enough. Decreased heart rate. I'll talk about ABCs, but is the heart rate high? Is it low? Is it low? Treat that right away. Make sure you're supporting the patient, okay? You know, blood vessel vasodilation, you can have increased peristalsis of hyperactive bowel sounds. You can have increased elevation. So this is the wet toxidrome, okay? Way to treat this, supportive care. I can't say that enough. What are your vital signs telling you? What is your patient telling you? Atropine can be very, very, very helpful in this situation. And as a medication, it's usually very well tolerated. Decam decontamination, so is this a child who's come in from a rural setting, from a park, whatever it may be, have they been exposed to pesticides? Is that what's driving this, okay? You wanna keep yourself safe, your staff safe, okay? You can use um, medications such as prolidoxine that will reactivate acetylcholinesterase, okay? That'll bring down your cholinergic numbers and benzodiazepines if they're agitated. You should avoid succinylcholine if you can. This is for the providers out there that may be intubating these patients. Succinyl half-life is typically about eight minutes, but in the setting of organophosphates, it really prolongs that, okay? And you want that patient to wake up. All right, so we've talked about cholinergics. How about anticholinergic toxidromes? So these are your antihistamines. Your atropine just mentioned is a treatment for cholinergic symptom, so this can be helpful. Your cyclic antidepressants, okay? This is something we're not prescribing as much because we've identified this as an unsafe drug to overdose on, but it's still out there in the community. We already talked about ginseng weed, oxybutynin, scopolamine, for all those who have motion sickness or prescribe that for our patients, okay? The toxidrome, very similar to the other two you'll see. Agitation, coma, delirium, so lots of overlap. This one also results in eye dilation as opposed to pupil constriction. 
dry mouth, you'll have warm, dry, flush skin, okay? So palpate your patient, take a look, see how they look to you, okay? And the expressions we've all heard, mad as a hatter, blind as a bat, red as a beet, hot as a hair, and dry as a bone, okay? That really does apply. It was helpful for my many sets of boards. I'm sure it'll be helpful for yours as well. So to treat this toxidrome, you want to apply an antimuscarinic effect, okay? This can be very similar to the sympathetic toxidrome, okay? Just keep in mind that if you have a cocaine overdose, you're going to be diaphoretic, have cool skin, and hyperactive bowel sounds, as opposed to dry, warm skin, decreased bowel sounds, and hypertension that may not be as high as that you would see with sympathetic compounds, okay? Treatment, control their hyperthermia. I think this is something that I forget as an intensivist on occasion. Patient comes in the temp of 39, 39.5, 40. They have an impaired sweating response. They cannot cool themselves. So aggressive cooling is really important. You'll see that benzodiazepines are a recurring theme here. I have a love-hate relationship with this drug. It will help with your agitation. It will help calm your patient down. It will help your tachycardia and hypertension. But you do lose a part of your mental status and physical examination once you administer this. Physostigmine, something we use a lot, should be avoided in tricyclic overdose, okay? This can lead to convulsions and asystole. And as we can all picture, asystole is very bad, depending on, on where you're practicing, okay? So opiate agents, this is a huge hot topic. I actually watched a really interesting video. It's available online. talks about life in Cincinnati for a week and talks about their fentanyl um, and opioid over abuse and overdose community. And I, I think this video outlined 22 deaths, 280-some overdoses, the use of naloxone in, in several patient groups, um, and just talked about the, the burden of this in the community. And this is something we, we, we do see and we will see. So as one might expect, respiratory depression, coma, meiosis, very common, bradycardia, hypotension, and decreased motility, we deal with this a ton. Treatment, naloxone, it's great. I use this a ton. In fact, when I get all of my ERT and RRT pages in the hospital, this is the first drug that comes to mind. I'm always worried it's an overdose of narcotics. It can be given in multiple, multiple routes. You need to monitor for acute withdrawal syndrome. So if you have a 17, 18-year-old, you're not sure if they're using these medications a lot. They may withdraw acutely with naloxone. It is very short-acting. This isn't the patient you give a dose and you walk out of the room for the next hour, okay? Their symptoms will come back, and it does require repeat doses or even an infusion, and then they come visit me in the ICU. I've never used nalmemphine, but it's becoming more and more available. And the interesting thing is you'll start to see more naloxone kits out in the community, EMS, cops, so on and so forth. And in fact, I borrowed this from a website where they're making this free to high schools in this community. So if you see someone who's overdosing in opioids, you can use this, okay? Common toxins. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about all those fun medications your little ones could get into. So acetaminophen, salicylates or aspirins, and your alcohols, okay? And of course, this adorable little girl, she's sorting these pills very nicely for whoever grandparent left them sit around for you. So acetaminophen, it's most common in overdose, okay? I don't know why they pick this med, but they do. Four stages, so keep this in mind, uh, depending on when this child presents. And, and this is a 14-year-old, 16-year-old, 17-year-old. They're not going to tell you exactly when. They know they're in trouble. They may not tell you till a day later, okay? And keep that in mind. So the first 12 to 24 hours, nausea, vomiting, or maybe completely asymptomatic during that time, okay? So your index of suspicion should be very high. You're a day or two into it now. Now you start to see elevated LFTs, or they may still be asymptomatic, okay? 
two days to three days into this, nausea, vomiting, anorexia. This is when you start to see the impact on this li their liver, okay? And then seven to eight days, either they recover or they don't. And going to fulminant hepatic failure, you might see jaundice, encephalopathy, and bleeding. And from my standpoint, when they come to see me in the intensive care unit, it becomes the interesting question if you have a 16-year-old who took too much Tylenol, and now you need to offer a liver transplant, and, and the ethics behind that, and so on and so forth. So bad decisions can have very bad consequences. So this is as a result of increased levels of NAPQI. I won't even pretend to say this lovely chemical, but keep that in mind. You have excess of this because your glutathione can no longer clear this. You've overwhelmed your glutathione system, okay? And the treatment of choice is NAC, N-acetylcysteine. This is something I know my colleague, Dr. Manabach, has, has available uh, all the time in the emergency department. Someone advocate you should start administering this within 10 hours of the overdose, but if a patient presents at 16, 18, 20, 24 hours, it's still good to try, okay? You want to save their liver. You can give both oral and IV versions. Uh, when, and during my training, we try to advocate for the oral version, but both are available. This is a liver that uh, shows early evidence of fibrosis um, and early signs of liver failure. And this nomogram, I won't go through it a ton, but it's something that should be at your right hand if you commonly treat overdoses, okay? And I think it's important if you have a patient coming with altered mental status, whether it's a 3-year-old, 10-year-old, 15-year-old, this is something that should be in every panel. You should always check for Tylenol ingestion. Salicylates, uh, medication I use a ton as a cardiologist, and it's available in many, many, many homes. So acetylsalicylic acid or ASA, it's also in other medications. Oil of wintergreen, interestingly enough. So for people who uh, see a lot of patients that use aromatherapy, that has a very, very, very high level of salicylate in it. So a drop or two of this can be toxic and fatal in small children. So symptoms of this, tachypnea, nausea, vomiting, dehydration. Ask your teenagers about ear ringing. That's a sign of toxicity. It's also a sign of therapy. Lethargy, seizures, and coma. Those are the end organ distant effects that are difficult to reverse. So the tachypnea is, is a result of compensating for severe metabolic acidosis. And it's interesting, in fellowship, I took care of a toddler. We weren't sure what this little one had gotten into, but they presented with DKA-type symptoms, but a fairly normal to low glucose level. And this child did not get better. It did not get better despite dialysis, in fact. And this one, we ultimately put an ECMO for a day for a suspected salicylate overdose. We think she got into grandpa's medicines, his aspirin container. Um, but very difficult to reverse. Unfortunately, this child had a very good outcome. But young patients may not be able to tell you what they've gotten into. Okay? So diagnosis, you can use fenestics. It's not something I've used a ton, but maybe my colleague, Dr. Manenbach, has. You check for levels two and six hours after ingestion. Keep in mind if these are enteric coated or sustained release, they can form a bit of a bezoar in the stomach. They may not digest right away. And it really depends heavily on your gastric pH, okay? The lower your pH, the, the less likely it's to digest. So if you're on actually a, a reflux medication, the digestion's a bit faster, and you don't have to have the late toxic effects, okay? But keep that in mind. An x-ray can actually be kind of helpful in the situation if you see pills coalesced in the stomach. Treatment, you can consider activated charcoal. You can use... Uh, sodium bicarb for urine alkalinization, or hemodialysis. And this is something I would not delay on if you feel like they're overdosing. And j just go ahead and put that in place. It's better than the end or organ effects or death that you may see. Ethanol. We see this a lot, a lot in our teenage population, and it's getting younger and younger, okay? 
Things to consider, mouthwash, perfume, cologne, topical antiseptics, they all have an alcohol component. Symptoms, we, we all kind of know these and hold them near and dear. You can have nausea, vomiting, stupor, ataxia, metabolic acidosis is a part of this. Children can present with profound hypoglycemia, and it does not take a lot of alcohol before you start to see these symptoms. can come in with hypothermia, coma. First thing that may run to mind is this infectious in nature, so keeping your index of suspicion high. Death can occur at a level about 500 milligrams per deciliter, so not very much as far as alcohol intoxication. Those levels are lower the, the smaller you are, the younger you are. Consider co-ingestions, okay? That 16-year-old that comes in with altered mental status, are they into other drugs, medications? Do they take prescription medications? What else could this be? Keep that in mind. It's, it's easy to treat what's obvious, and it's easy to forget what isn't obvious. Unfortunately, for alcohol poisoning, it's typically supportive care. You're waiting it out. You support their ABCs. I've used dialysis in three patients in the intensive care unit. So uncommon, but it, it's out there. Other alcohols to consider. Something we don't see a ton anymore. I think education has, has decreased the numbers of this, but something you may see in adolescents or adult patients. Uh, it's it, Rubbing alcohol, it's present aftershave, perfume, skin lotion, so on and so forth, and antifreeze. And I, again, I think that's something that uh, has improved with education but is still out there. Very similar symptoms, okay? Keep in mind, gastritis can be part of this. It eats at your stomach lining. Ataxia, coma are part of this as well. Ketosis and ketonuria with normal glucoses or low glucoses, okay? That should be a, a, a sign that this is not DKA, uh, even though the patient may present that way. They may or may not have acidemia, depending on how sick they are. And then methanol and ethylene glycol. This is an awesome board example that I think we've all been tested on at some point in our life. It's present in antifreeze compounds. Um, big symptoms are CNS depression. The child you found down in the garage, they got into something, and now they're no longer active. It's metabolized by alcohol dehydrogenase, so methanol is metabolized into formic acid, and that causes acidosis, and then retinal toxicity, something we should be ringing some bells for some of us in the room. Ethylene glycol breaks down into oxalate, which, important, which unfortunately will hurt your kidneys big time and cause renal failure. You might see a high anion gap. This is part of that, or an elevated osmol gap. And treatment, we all can hopefully recall the drug famipazole, thiamine, peroxidine, and, and these all are designed to block alcohol dehydrogenase and to limit effects. Um, I know something I learned in medical school, that ethanol is a potential treatment for this, and that pharmacies will sometimes carry ethanol and do ethanol infusions. Uh, Fimipazole is the better treatment option than ethanol. It, it can work in a pinch, though. Less common toxins. So caustics, I won't spend a lot of time on it. My colleague, Dr. Tung, sees quite a few of these because they, they do a, a number on your esophagus and stomach and, and more distally. Iron, digoxin, cyanide, calcium channel blockers, beta blockers. I've seen every single one of these in my fellowship, and I'm pretty, pretty young. So kids do get into these medications. It's something to keep in mind. They all have antidotes to keep in mind as well. Asphyxiate, so carbon monoxide, hence the hyperbaric oxygen um, machine here. Um, so if you get a gas for some reason, don't forget to go to coox with that as well. Tricyclic antidepressants are important to keep in mind as well. They're less commonly prescribed, but still available out there. Club drugs. I would be remiss if I didn't spend a, a short minute on these. Um, not something I see a ton in Rochester at this point, but I, I think the numbers are increasing, and, and Dr. Manabach could comment otherwise. Um, but I'm sure in other communities we see a lot of these. In fact, over dinner last night we were talking about young adults and Ritalin and Ritalin exposure, uh, PCP, LSD, 
and again, opioids. Um, it, it's interesting, part of our conversation was how much it does a pill of Percocet or Vicodin or oxycodone sell for in high schools. Um, and I, I guarantee there is a price associated with this. So our young children are getting into these medications um, and, and not for great reasons. Um, so inhalants are also important. Uh, we see that every once in a while. Uh, their effects are very long-acting, okay? Hearing loss, neuropathy, CNS and brain damage, liver and kidney disease. And, and all these drugs have, depending on how clean or dirty they are, can have bad, bad consequences for young adults. So clinical approach, I'll go through this briefly. Uh, ABCs, okay? Don't forget this. This child's attended. They're not talking. They're not interactive. First thing you do, are they breathing? What is their circulation like? Do I need to assist them? And a lot of these kids do need assistance, i.e. intubation, monitoring medications to support their, their heart rates and their blood pressure. Patient history. It's, it's unfortunate you're often unable to obtain. You get it from mom and dad that were downstairs watching a movie. They had no idea what their 16-year-old was getting into, what they have access to. You just see a pile of pills. Look for possible toxins. I ask this a lot. What do you have for prescriptions at home? What does grandma and grandpa have? What drugs do they, do they have access to, especially the little ones, okay? Think about your cleaners. Think about your garage. Home or environmental exposures, okay? Carbon monoxide, cyanide, ozone, smoke, volatile hydrocarbons. These are things that are, are present in all of our homes. Suicidal notes and risk-taking behaviors. When I hear these things, my differential opens up big time. I'm thinking about a lot more things, polysubstance abuse or intentional ingestion. And I have to be a little bit more on my toes in the intensive care unit because I don't know exactly what toxidrome they're going to have or is it going to be a mixed picture. Physical exam, what are your vital signs doing? I present a lot of those toxidromes that will be available to you. Some specifically have tachycardia, some specifically have bradycardia, hyper or hypotension. Look at the eyes. What are your pupils doing? Dermatologically, are they wet and flushed? Are they hot and dry? Are they cold? What's going on? And then you see this young child who was in the news about a year ago. Do you have signs in their skin? Does this child have potential inhalation injury that you need to be thinking about? Okay, opens up your differential. But use those wonderful exam skills you use every day. Labs, we talked a little bit about this. Anion gap, urine and serum drug screens, they do not test everything. And if you look at social media, false positives, false negatives, it's all over, okay? If you're suspicious, treat. It's the best thing to do. You won't have any remorse if you're keeping it in mind. Do your analysis. In fact, color can be very helpful, especially for antibiotics that children get into. Osmolality can be quite helpful. ECGs, I'm a cardiologist. I love electrocardiograms. Please look at them. It's very helpful, okay? Look at your ST segments. Look at your QRS. Those are things you need to intervene on usually very quickly. Chest x-ray can be quite helpful. Do you have a big ball of aspirin sitting in this kid's stomach? Do you know this is going to be a long go if it's sustained release or enteric coded? Management. Keep in mind your toxokinetics, how long these drugs last, what you might see over the next 6, 12, 24 hours. Decontamination, use someone, but not as much as we maybe would like. Kids present late, and it's usually ineffective. And if you do not have a protected airway, I'd rather not have these things in my child's lungs. Then they come stay in the ICU with me for a long, long time, okay? Antidotes, I won't go through these, but there are a lot. And if you, as you look at those lists, some things may come back to mind as far as board-testable questions. Diuresis, dialysis, I've used this a fair amount in the ICU, interestingly enough. Urinary alkalinization can be helpful. I've used ECMO in at least four patients. Grandpa's cardiac meds are really, really, really bad for children, really bad. Okay, so refractory arrhythmias and hypotension, this is a reason to use 
ECMO support. So in conclusion, most ingestions are benign with minimal short and long-term adverse effects, so keep that in mind. Vigilant supportive care is the hallmark of management. What is your patient doing right now? What can you anticipate? It requires a multidisciplinary approach. Call poison control. Call your, call your pharmacist. Call your right-hand people to help with this child in dialysis. Serious toxicity mandates close attention to your major organ systems, A, B, Cs. Focus less maybe in the social history, more what's going on with your blood pressure. And you want to prevent those serious consequences, liver failure, renal failure, organ transplantation. And ingestions are ideally managed by primary prevention. Talk to your parents, talk to children. Drugs are bad, of course. Poison control stickers are great, so keep that in mind. Thank you for your kind emails and topic suggestions. We invite you to continue to share your thoughts and questions at cme at mayo.edu. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week.